Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know me yet, yeah, I'm Steve. I'm the lead elder at Welcome Church in Woking. Married to Joe. We've got three kids, all grown up. Two of them married. And uh, Joe, unfortunately, isn't here. She works full time as a civil servant in education. Um, so she is busy working today. But uh, sends you all her love and blessings and greetings. In our morning sessions, we're working through to Timothy. And today we're in chapter two, and this morning I'm going to be talking about faithfulness, fruitfulness, and failure. Let me start with a quick question. Have you ever felt like you're failing as a leader? You ever felt that? It's got to be a common experience, I would think. A few years ago, I went through a season like that. I was frustrated. I was dealing with lots of challenges. I wasn't seeing the results that I wanted to see. Uh, God seemed to be blessing other leaders and their churches so much more than mine. And honestly, I just felt like I was missing the mark somehow. I wonder if anyone can relate to that feeling. And if you've ever felt that way, this chapter of 2 Timothy has some really relevant things to say. So I'm going to read the chapter through. This is 2 Timothy 2, and I'm, I'm reading it from the NIV translation. This is what it says. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's Solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth, And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, it is common to feel like we're failing as leaders, whatever context you're leading in. So let's just consider for a moment what things might make us feel like we're failing as leaders. Let's just reflect for a moment. You see, beyond all the basic insecurities that can affect us all, I think there are lots of possible causes. For example, a lack of progress. A task list that just overwhelms. People making demands on you that you just feel you can't meet. A lack of a good team around you. Or the team you do have arguing. Or the good people on the team you have with you leaving. Maybe we invested in some younger leader and it didn't work out. Comparison to others. And then on top of all that, there might be personal sin. Character flaws that we just don't feel able to conquer. And so we end up thinking, well, if I can't even lead myself, how can I lead anyone else? So many things can lead, uh, leave us feeling like we are failing. And even if right now you think, well, I'm doing well right now, maybe there's a past leadership failure that bothers you. And you, you look back and you, you wonder, why did that happen? Where was God? Did he really lead me into that? I thought he did. What could I have done differently? Was it my fault? If I was leading that thing and it failed, what does that make me? Now, when Paul wrote to Timothy, his leadership had all the appearance of failure. He was in prison. He was unable to preach, unable to carry out his ministry. He was cold. He was hungry. His eyesight was failing. He was awaiting execution. His churches were struggling with arguments, with bad leadership, with false teaching and with persecution. And his team was struggling too. Hymenaeus and Philetus, gone off the rails. Demas, fallen in love with the world and deserted him. In chapter 4, he says, at my first defense, everyone deserted me. Paul didn't know what his legacy would be. All he could see were the walls of a prison cell, and it looked like failure. Now, here's a question to consider. How do you measure success in your leadership context? What markers point to a successful leader? I want you to reflect for a moment. I'm in church leadership. I wasn't always. I spent 12 years in a marketplace job. I don't know what your context for leadership is. For some of you, that's church leadership or a ministry in the church. It might be in your workplace or in some community setting. What are the markers of success in your context? Just think for a moment. And if you've got your pen, why don't you just take a moment and write something down? What looks like success? What would you look at and go, yeah, that, that's success? Where do you go with that? I wrote a list for my context, okay? I want to share my list with you. 
Here's my list. I have concluded that there are, in sort of common language, common experience, four markers of success for a church pastor, for a church leader. And I call them the A, B, C, D. The A, B, C, D. All right? These are the four markers. A, attendance. At a party, right, normal people ask, what do you do? And they use that to rate you. Unfortunately, at a leadership conference, church leaders ask each other, how many do you get on a Sunday then? Attendance. B, buildings. Buildings. Have you got a building? How big is it? How much debt are you in? <laughs> Which leads nicely on to C, cash. How's your giving going? Has it held up? What size of gift days have you had then? And last one, D, which by the way is a new addition, this one, digital presence. I wouldn't have been there a few years ago. Digital presence, it's gone from ABC to ABCD. How many followers have you got? How many likes and shares? How many people are just gushing over that, that blog or that ever so humble thought that the Lord gave you to share? A, B, C, D, attendance, buildings, cash, digital. It's shallow, it's superficial, it doesn't help, but all too often our perception of our own success or failure, in my context, comes down to the way we keep score in these things. And what about your context? How are you keeping score in your context? What are the markers of success? What things are you using to rate others and decide, do I look up to them or down on them? Do I feel inferior or superior? Do I feel pride or do I feel shame? We do it all the time. See, every context has got markers, and whether they're the official ones that might get used, for example, in a performance review at work, or whether they're the unofficial ones that we all rate people by anyway, we've all got markers. Now, I, by the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't measure these things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't Try to improve on them, right? I want my church attendance to grow, don't you? There's nothing wrong with great buildings, big gift days. There's nothing wrong with those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't measure them. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to improve them. I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate them when they go well. But these things won't tell us whether what we're doing is a success in God's eyes or not. Because the truth is, Jesus doesn't measure our success this way. Not yours and not mine. Now... I'm not going to boast, but I'm going to tell you some of our stats from Welcome Church. I'm doing it for a reason, because I've got a point to make. Let me give you some stats from Welcome Church, because our ABCD looks pretty good right now. You ready for a snapshot? The Welcome Church snapshot. Here it is. Attendance, ready? We grew 27% last year. Our average Sundays are around 740. We're in regular contact with around 1,200 pushing to 1,400 regularly, because there's people away every week. Last week, we baptized the latest 14 people, and had 868 on our count. It's pretty good attendance from what I'd say. Buildings, our five million pound purpose-built buildings are beautiful. Come to prayer and fasting in November, you can see them all. Uh, cash, I mean, <laughs> I remember when Winchester hit, hit the target for gift days. I remember when Winchester's sort of 800,000 was the one, and yeah, we, we did a gift day for our building. 1.4 million pounds over one gift day. We're ahead of budget again this year as well, again. It's good, isn't it? Digital presence, I've got to be honest, I do very little online personally, which is a choice that I have made. 
But I have to tell you, as a church, our online meetings are still drawing new people, and our social media is flying, especially since we employed a full-time comms manager, because we could afford to do that, don't you know? Bless you, Juliet. Does that make us a success? Not necessarily. Does that make us more successful in God's eyes than a small church or a church plant with few people, no building, maybe even struggling to find a hired venue, counting every penny, and struggling to even put a website together? Not necessarily. And does it make it more, us more successful than some of our commission churches in India, which consist of one or two families in a rural village who meet in a home, who are trying to work out how they share their faith in a fundamentalist Hindu context where new anti-conversion laws have been passed. You have to ask these questions. And the truth is, small church, large church, I've been in both those situations, in many situations in between two, and here's the truth. Comparison is completely and utterly pointless because our situations vary, and, and actually these statistics are not the marker of success in God's eyes anyway. You see, think about Welcome Church. Given our history, our team, our resources, our location, the foundations that I've had the privilege to move into and build on, wouldn't you expect a good ABCD. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and at that small church, might take decades to get where we are. It might never happen outside of a revival context. And that church in India, well, it's just, let's not even ask the question. I mean, the whole question is just a category error. It's, not even, it's like the wrong question. <laughs> Here's the thing. When we meet Jesus, I've got a funny feeling that he's not going to sidle up to you or me and say so. <laughs> How many did you get on a Sunday then? <laughs> it's not going to happen. And if you lead in a different context, I don't believe Jesus will be asking you about your KPIs either. Now, I'm not saying that all these measures are worthless and that we shouldn't try to improve. We want to be fruitful at what we're leading. And therefore, it's okay to track our progress. Church leaders... Of course we want our numbers to grow. Of course we do. We want to have good facilities. We want to have great giving. We want to reach out to the world in every way we can, including the internet if we can. But it's not the measure of your life's success. One day, I won't be leading Welcome Church anymore. I hope the next guy does way better than I've done. May he go on and just take it to new heights that we've never dreamed of before, but they won't be his measure of success either. So how does Jesus measure our success? Well, in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, Paul wrote this little phrase. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Faithful. Faithful is the word. Not famous. God has not called you to be famous. Oh, too many mega pastors trying to build their profile not famous, not flash, 
just faithful. I believe we can sum up Jesus' measurement of our success in one word, and that word is faithfulness. And the ultimate marker of success in our lives will be to hear Jesus say over us, well done, good and faithful servant. But the faithfulness that he's looking for will not be measured by a spreadsheet or by a balance sheet or by a count of numbers. It's not measured with a tape measure, it's measured with a plumb line, his spiritual plumb line. Are we building straight? Are we being faithful? And the challenge is, our faithfulness, like Paul's, could look like failure in the world's eyes. See, Jesus is more interested in what we do with what we've been given than he is in how much we've actually got. He's more interested in how we respond to our circumstances than in what those circumstances are. And whatever leadership context God has put you in, the call is to faithfulness. Have we been, are we being faithful with the things entrusted to us? So what does faithfulness look like? Well, this chapter from his prison cell tells us. Paul wrote and he gave Timothy some markers of faithfulness. I want to highlight five of them. First of all, we must be faithful to raise and release other leaders. It's the first call to faithfulness. Verse two, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable, read faithful, people who will also be qualified to teach others. So however great you are as a leader, you need to know your life is limited. You have only got so much capacity, so much time, and so many years in leadership, and you can only be in one place at a time. We are all called to pass on what we have. Our skills, our knowledge, our experience, and eventually our role needs to go to other faithful people. Faithful leadership multiplies itself and releases other faithful leaders. As someone brilliantly said, there is no success without a successor. Now, this is vital in the church context, but do you know it's vital in every leadership role? I'm talking to Jo, right? In her work context, part of her role involves developing others. For part of her being faithful to follow Jesus in her calling in the workplace involves her being faithful to train, equip, and release others to do what she's doing well. Church leaders, listen. Church leaders, you need to know this. Jesus has put other potential leaders in your context. You hit that again. Jesus has put other potential leaders in your context. He really has. He calls us to find them, equip them, and release them. And if you feel like, oh, I haven't got many options to start with, start with what you've got anyway. Just pick the best you've got and start there. Be faithful, because then Jesus might entrust you with more. Oh, but there's so many things standing in our way, like busyness, laziness, lack of intentionality, and the biggest obstacle of all, insecurity. What if they are better than me? What if I train them up and then they leave? Hey, Jesus raised and released the disciples. Paul raised and released Timothy and Titus, and I'm sure many others too. Who are you going to raise? Who are you going to release? Faithful to raise and release other leaders. Second one, we must be faithful to endure hardship. Verse 3 to 6, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete doesn't receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Listen, going through hardship is just part of normal human experience. We all go through it. I have to say, though, it does seem to get worse when we're pursuing God for some sort of breakthrough. Have you found that? So you step out for Jesus, 
It could be anything from kind of sharing your faith with someone to just trying to be more honorable in your life to planting a church. Take your pick. It could be any context. You step out and suddenly you face sickness, opposition, threats, anger, accusation, job loss, betrayal, loneliness, more, all sorts of things. Paul wrote this from prison. Again. (laughs) Not this first time, is it? Paul's life and mission... They were marked by persistent challenges and by suffering and by by struggles and by hardships and by obstacles. Do you know, all these things, hardships and obstacles, they're not a sign that you're failing as a leader or that God doesn't love you or that God isn't with you. Don't believe that. Hardship isn't a sign of failure. No, no, we're called to endure faithfully. Again, church leaders, listen, the pandemic was tough. Lockdown was difficult. Some churches are still recovering. Some congregations haven't recovered at all. Don't panic. Don't quit. Don't overreact. Don't sink in despair. And for goodness sake, don't compare yourself to others. Just be faithful. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Jesus was not surprised by COVID. There's nothing you're facing that others aren't aren't facing too. Now, it's not in the Bible, but I have to say I've often been strangely encouraged by a quote from Winston Churchill. He said this, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> All right? If you're like, I'm going through hell, keep going. Don't stop there. Keep going. <laughs> Whatever context you lead in, you go, you're going to have to endure through tough times. I mean, who'd be the prime minister right now? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as Christians, though, we don't have to do it on, on our own, in our own strength. We have our church. We have one another. We have apostolic oversight and care. We have the Holy Spirit. We have, we have Jesus. We have a heavenly Father who loves us. And in times of hardship or difficulty and suffering, lean into all of them. And so Paul reminds Timothy to endure. But, but it, it's not just enduring difficulty. I think there's another element here as well about this enduring. Because Paul also reminds Timothy that faithful leadership is just hard work. Now that's true in my role I have to be honest, right? Preaching, hard work, planning, vision setting, that's hard work, pastoring people, showing hospitality, handling finances, settling arguments, recruiting teams, opening up, tidying up, locking up, clearing up, praying, studying, all the rest. It's all hard work. It's just hard work. I'm sure your role's hard work too. And Paul points us to these examples, he points to a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, and these all require hard physical work. Soldiers follow orders they don't like. They might get asked to risk their life for other people. Athletes, athletes, goodness, they sacrifice comfort and they train hard, whether they feel like it or not. Farmers get up early. They keep at it year after year in all seasons, often sacrificing comfort when they'd much rather be tucked up indoors with their feet up or or asleep in bed. And in each of these cases, they sacrifice themselves for a higher goal, for something that is bigger than themselves. And of course, Jesus, by the way, is the greatest example of that, just to say. These examples, they call us to faithful endurance so that we can be fruitful. And the truth is, I don't know any leader in any context who's seeing fruitfulness or breakthrough who isn't also enduring by working hard and putting in the hours. I don't know any. I work hard. My whole team works hard. So does Guy. So does Vinu, 
So did Paul, so did Timothy, so do many, many leaders throughout our commission family and the church worldwide. Many, many of you are in this room today. You are working hard. Well done. Because faithfulness means hard work and patient endurance through hardships in whatever context you lead. Third way to be faithful. We must be faithful to spread the gospel. Verse 8 to 10. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word isn't chained. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. So he goes on. I have led in a real range of church contexts. Okay? This, is my, this is Steve's experience. I have led in church plants. I've led in small church, I've led in multi-site church, I've led in what for our movement is a larger church, I've led in a village, in a rural city, in a seaside town, an urban centre, a church with a building, a church without a building, a church in a hired venue. I, to be honest, I remember right when our church was eight adults in our front room with the lovely Sue Gatland looking after the kids in the dining room. Bless you, Sue, if you're here. Do you know what I discovered? I've discovered that we can love people towards Jesus in every single context, every context. And God has people in your town, your city, your workplace who he wants to reach through you. So we are all called to faithfully share the gospel in our own context. Hey, if you are in a church leadership context, if your church is smaller, don't get discouraged. Don't get frustrated. Keep going. You reap a harvest if you don't give up. If you're in a larger context, don't you get complacent. It's all right now. Got a building? Got a good number? You can just relax. Salaries are paid. I can now. I can just, just focus and concentrate on pastoring these people I've got. Don't need to worry about that world out there anymore. And everyone will think I'm a success. I don't think that's faithfulness, though. See, God wants to reach people through your church and mine. Let's be faithful to share Jesus whenever and however we can. It's what our churches are here to do. Have faith for God to reach people through you. Have faith for baptisms, for salvation and for breakthrough. And remember, any single one life that comes to faith in Jesus, that's a miracle. That's priceless. Jesus gave his life for that one. It's amazing. So easy to make excuses for ourselves. You know, we're small, we haven't got a building, we haven't got much money, we can't do what they do. No, no, come on, come on. Jesus can work in every situation. Sometimes it might need us to be really deliberate. Sometimes we need to make a plan. We might need to adjust how we do things. We might need to think about how we change our meetings to be able to reach out to people. We might need some help. We might need some wisdom. Praise God, right? Particularly here in the UK, right, in Commission, we've got several gifted Ephesians 4 evangelists in Commission UK. Right, so here's the question. Why not get hold of one of them, get them in and ask them to help you equip your church? But it might require you being willing to change the way you do things. Oh, but we do things God's way. course it might be here that you lead or work in a context where you're just not allowed to openly share your faith you know you wouldn't be allowed to pray with your customers clients whatever it is listen if so 
God can still open doors for you. Paul is in prison. He can't preach, but he's writing letters. He's witnessing to the guards. In India, persecution is growing, but guess what? They're seeing people saved and churches planted. Even when our context seems unfavorable, what does it say? God's word isn't chained. God's word's not chained. God's got plans for you to reach people wherever you live and work and your, your church to reach people. And, and whatever size it might be, God wants to work through you. Whatever buildings or people or finances or resources you do or don't have, let's be faithful with our churches and with our lives. Let's be faithful to spread the gospel. Fourth one, we must be faithful to the Bible. This is... Uh, There's lots about this in the passage. I'll just read a little bit of it. Verse 15 to 17. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter. Those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. We need to hold firmly to the truth of the Bible. This is a faithfulness issue. We need to do this even in an aging culture like ours where it can be out of fashion and can cause offense. And that, that phrase, correctly handles, is the translation of a Greek word which is something like this, ortho to mounter. I may not have pronounced that properly. Ortho to mounter. We get the word orthodox from it. Correctly handles, ortho to mounter, orthodox. Literally, ortho to mounter means to cut straight. That's what it means. So we are called to cut the word of God straight. You get it? Straight. We're not skirting around bits. Not all cut it and around that. Just ignore that bit. Or that feels uncomfortable. We'll go off. Hit, cut the word of God straight. And we're pastors, many of us. And we need to be ready to, to, to get the word of God to people. It's not our job to be fancy or clever. We need to just make the Bible plain to people. Like a parent cutting up a loaf of bread for his kids. Cut it straight, cut it straight. Here's something of a size you can consume. Cut the word of God straight. Now, I have to say, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise. That's not an excuse to be boring or dry or not to prepare well. And please, please, let's not set out to cause offense. I mean, if we stand up and preach without tact and without wisdom and with no love for lost people in our hearts, and then people get offended, it might not be the Bible that caused offense. It might just be that you were obnoxious. (laughs) I told them straight. If they didn't like it, tough. I told them straight, they go to hell now, it's on them. No, no, that's not wise, it's not kind, it's not loving, it's not godly. No, no, we have to aim to win people, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So as a church, we recently preached through uh, 1 Corinthians, the whole book, it was challenging, we did all of it, we did the stuff on sex and sexuality and church discipline, I did that one, gender, head covering, me again, and the rest, uh, <laughs> Some passages we had to work really hard at. I mean, we, we got together and we, we combined our wisdom. We talked about how are we going to approach this together. We, we read and we commented on each other's talks to make sure we got it right. We took outside advice. I asked Mick about a few bits. John Groves preached a couple of passages for us. Tim Blaber did one. Mick Taylor did one. And here's the thing. People loved it and thanked us, including brand new Christians. 
And as we sat up front working out, are we going to go through 1 Corinthians, we had this conversation because we knew it was going to be tricky. So we thought there's some challenging things in here, but we reached a conclusion. If there's bits of the Bible that we can't teach and preach on a Sunday, we have a problem. And we weren't going to accept that problem. Here's the challenge though, right? Churches can grow without cutting it straight. Churches can grow while they're just compromising the gospel. We can find examples all over the place of churches that are growing and compromising the gospel. Growth is good. We should pursue it. But growth is not always a sign of health and faithfulness because Paul points out so clearly that, guess what? Gangrene grows and spreads too. There in the passage. Rico Tice, in his book, Faithful Leaders and the Things That Matter Most, I recommend that to you, says this, false teaching dazzles, then it distorts, then it diverts, and finally it destroys. And so a low-demand gospel, gospel of comfort, an over-realized eschatology, a focus only on felt needs, a promise of prosperity, the avoidance of repentance and holiness, they might make our message that little bit more palatable to our culture, but then when people get sick, when money runs out, when relationships fail, when hardship comes, when persecution assails us, weak plants without deep roots in the word of God will wither and die. And it might be, again, that in your leadership context, you're not allowed to talk about your faith. You wouldn't be allowed to sort of share the Bible with people, and some are all from different contexts here. But you can always live it out faithfully. You can be faithful in the way you live out the word of God. You can model it and be ready to give an answer to anyone that asks you the reason for the hope you have. But as Paul says, do it with gentleness and respect. And if that's your case, my last point is especially important to you, though it's important to all of us. Number five, we must be faithful in our character. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith. Love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. My friends, we're saved by grace, not by our own righteousness, not by our own good deeds. But how we live and our efforts to live holy lives, do you think they might affect how much God decides to use us? See, we stand clean and forgiven before God because of Jesus, but we are called to live out that holiness faithfully by the Holy Spirit's power day by day, whatever context we're leading in. And so Paul tells us, flee the evil desires of youth. Now, this is about much more than lust and sex. You see, the next verse, verse 23, says, don't have anything to do with foolish, stupid arguments because they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant mustn't be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. Those are some of the evil desires of youth. Paul is describing some stuff here. Childish arguments, quarrels, power plays, arrogance, impatience with older leaders, self-assertion, the avoidance of anything that just feels a bit routine, giving only grudging obedience to authority. All of those and more are the evil desires of youth. And guess what? They can persist well into old age. <laughs> and verse 24 is key. The very next verse. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. In leadership, in every context, kindness counts for such a lot. You might be struggling in your leadership role right now. You may be frustrated. You may feel like you're failing. You can still be kind to people. We're called to lead like Jesus. We're called to a servant leadership and then Paul actually says to do it without resentment and that's key how do we avoid resentment 
get up early and serve. Didn't anybody notice? Week after week I preach and all I do is complain. And the resentment builds. Listen, we avoid resentment by remembering the grace of God to us. We deserved nothing. And he gave everything for us. And now it's my absolute privilege to serve the one that died for me. I serve him by serving others. Whether they say thank you or not. You'll know if you've got a servant heart when you get treated like a servant. Just remember his undeserved grace and mercy. It's what keeps us from falling into resentment. So Jesus isn't measuring our success by our KPIs. He's not looking at attendance, buildings, cash and digital presence or whatever it is for your context. He's looking at our faithfulness. And Paul, from his prison cell, pointed Timothy to faithfulness. Faithfulness to raise and release other leaders. Passing on what we have. Faithfulness to endure in hardship and not to quit. Working hard like the soldier, like the athlete, like the farmer. Faithfulness to spread the gospel in every context. Faithfulness to the Bible and what it teaches us and faithful in our character. That's what Jesus is looking for. And here's the encouraging thing. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. It does. It leads to fruitfulness. It will. At the end of his ministry... Paul's life looked like a failure in the world's eyes. And yet, Paul's faithfulness has been bearing fruit for the last 2,000 years. We are preaching his words today. The churches he planted turned the world upside down. To quote the historian Tom Holland from his book Dominion, Paul's letters, along with the four Gospels, are the most influential, the most impactful, the most revolutionary writings that have emerged from the ancient world. It's quite a legacy. It's amazing fruitfulness. You see, faithfulness, why, why is faithfulness and fruitfulness linked? You see, it's because faithfulness is rooted really in one main thing. All our faithfulness is rooted in this, that we abide in Jesus. All of those things, it's about us abiding in Jesus. It's about walking in relationship with him. All those things we're called to be faithful, they just come out of us walking in relationship with Jesus and knowing him. It's his heart being expressed through us. And Jesus promised that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. So faithfulness comes from abiding in Jesus, and abiding in Jesus leads to fruitfulness. They are linked. And fruitfulness, all right, it might include our ABCD or whatever we measure. It might do. And if it does, the glory goes to him. But we can still be fruitful even if those things are struggling and going the other way. Because fruitfulness will include growth in our character, growth, growth in our faith, in our witness, in our love, in our humility, in our relationship with Jesus and in our relationships with other people. Fruitfulness. That A, B, C, D, it's not really important. And I bet I know what Jesus said to Paul when they met <laughs> For the second time, right after Nero had his head chopped off outside Rome and his body thrown into an unmarked grave. It's the same thing we all want to hear at the end of our life. Well done, good and faithful servant. That line comes from Jesus' parable of the talents, by the way, in Matthew 25. And God spoke to me through that parable a few years ago when I felt like I was failing. See, my biggest problem in that season was I was comparing myself to another leader and my church to theirs. That was the issue. 
And that led to frustration and despair, not least because the tendency that we all have is to compare our weaknesses with other people's strengths. And that really doesn't help. And the truth is, we had made some progress as a church. We had. But I found myself asking, why is God blessing him more than me? Why is he seeing growth and literally even being given buildings and I'm struggling to even find a venue for our church to meet in? And I was in a low place. I was sulking in in a small group meeting. It's one of the very few times in my life when I know that God just spoke with such an utter clarity. Honestly, it came out of nowhere. It shocked me. It undid me. And it healed me. See, I sat brooding and unrelated to anything that was being talked about or read or that I'd heard or just completely unrelated to anything going on in my life at the time or the room at the time, this question came in my mind and it was clear as anything. God just said this to me. What will you do if I've only given you two talents? (laughs) And uh, I am so pleased to say that I gave an instant, unplanned response from really deep in my soul. Well, I'll do everything I can to double it. And I'll double it, I'll double it. That's why I thought, okay. That moment, honestly, it released me. It did, it released me. It released me from the sense of failure, from frustration, from comparison to others, from striving. Most of all, it released me from the ungodly sense of entitlement that, that somehow I deserved God to treat me better after all I'd done for him. Boom, just evaporated. It made so much sense as well, because I knew we weren't a tiny church, but there were plenty bigger and better resource than us. So I thought, well, two talents made sense. I also realized this, right, that if I did as well as could be expected, if I did as well as the guy in the parable, the one with two talents who turned them into four and was told, well done, good and faithful servant, if I achieved absolutely everything he achieved, I still wouldn't reach the place where the guy with five talents actually just started from. And actually, I felt good about that. It was kind of releasing. So, ah, it's great. Doesn't matter. You see, all God wanted was faithfulness, to be faithful with what he had entrusted me with. And guess what? It didn't require buildings or more cash or more people. It just required faithfulness. And I sat there, (laughs) probably looking like an idiot, really, with a smile on my face, a new sense of purpose and freedom. And I went out of that room and I started to take a whole lot of bigger risks of faith because... I also understood on that, in that moment, in a way I never had before, that even if everything fell apart on me, if it all went wrong, it was okay. It was God's church and only he could make it fruitful. So what will you do with what Jesus has entrusted to you? I wonder what risks you might take if you weren't worried so much about hanging on to what you have for fear of so-called failure. In the parable of the talents, two servants are commended for their faithfulness, a faithfulness that resulted in measurable fruitfulness. But you know, that fruitfulness doesn't all come down to us because we can't make ourselves fruitful. We can only be faithful. We can only abide in Jesus. The rest comes from him. He's the one that makes us fruitful. And have you actually worked out yet, right, Christians, have you worked out that you're literally called to do the impossible anyway? I mean, like literally everything God's called you to do is impossible for you. Think about it. We're called to see people saved, set free, healed, transformed, filled with the Holy Spirit, released into spiritual gifts. You can't do any of those. You can't. 
Only Jesus can do those. You can't save anyone, heal anyone, set anyone free, transform anyone, fill anyone with the Holy Spirit or release anyone into spiritual gifts. You can't. And if you think you can, you're kidding yourself. Only Jesus can do any of those things. But he will work through us and make us fruitful, impossibly fruitful if we faithfully abide in him, so that one day we'll hear him say over us, well done, good and faithful servant. And we can be sure of that because, here's the thing, Jesus is the good and faithful servant. Do you get that? Jesus is the only truly good and faithful servant. And our life is hidden in him, and we get what he earned. Well done, good and faithful servant. You don't really think it's about you, do you? (laughs) What you're going to achieve. It's all about Jesus, the good and faithful servant. He's our model of faithfulness. He's the source of it all. He's the one that enables us to walk in faithfulness as he lives in us so that we bear much fruit for his Father's glory. It's rooted in him, it comes from him, the glory goes to him, so ultimately our faithfulness and fruitfulness are all rooted in him. And as I prepared this, I just felt the voice of the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear, too many of my faithful leaders, my faithful, faithful leaders in commission, walking around feeling like they're failures. See, we've got a kingdom that we're building. We've got a vision to see thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations, and only one person can do it, and his name is Jesus. Now, we've got a part to play in whatever context God's put us in, but let me ask you this question again. Have you ever felt like you're failing as a leader? If so, maybe you're measuring all the wrong things. I'd love to ask the worship team to come up. I'd like us to worship, but I'd like us to pray, and I'd like to invite you to stand with me. And you see, I want to pray over you, because I believe God wants to release people this morning from a sense of failure. That word Chris brought earlier about the stepping into the Jordan, those first steps of faith. Um, we didn't have time last night, but someone came and shared exactly the same word with me last night as, uh, during the worship meeting as well. I feel God speaking to us. I wonder for some of you, is it, is it a sense of failure that, or a fear of it that's stopping you from taking that step? I wonder. Let's pray. Tom's going to play beautifully for us on the keyboard. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I want to release people. Oh God, I believe, wants to release people. I can't release you from a sense of failure. I can't do anything, but I believe Jesus wants to release some of you this morning from a sense of failure. Is that you? Have you felt like you're failing? Let's close our eyes. Let's reach out to the Lord together. Hey, if that is you and you felt that, do me a little favor. Would you just put your hand up? God sees it. Oh, he sees you. Lord Jesus, you see every hand that's raised. Lord, you see every heart that's been bowed down, squashed. Walking around feeling I'm a failure. This might fail. Lord, I pray right now for a release from the sense of failure over many lives. 
you'd like someone to pray for you, do me a favor. Why don't you just nudge someone next to you or you know, behind you or something? Say, hey, would you pray for me? Can we do that? We might minister to one another. Have a, have a little look around. You might see someone with their hand up. Well, not, not every hand is up. That's all right. Just put your hand on their shoulder. Just start to pray over them. Let's pray for that release from failure. Release from the sense of failure. Start to pray over them. Some of you might feel stirred. You might feel you've got a prophetic word for somebody as you pray for them. Don't, don't be afraid to bring that, to prophesy. Lord, I want to pray for every one of us in this room that's ever felt that sense of failure, whether it's current or past. Lord, would you release us instead? Help us, Jesus, to measure by what you measure. Lord, I pray you would make us faithful. Make us faithful. Jesus, you are the good and faithful servant. Lord, would you make us faithful? Would you make me faithful? The things you've entrusted to me, Lord, I want to use them for you. Whether it's a little or a lot. Lord, I thank you. Father, I pray for the church plants across our room. Are you watching online? Bless those leaders, Father. Pray for those in smaller churches. It's a struggle or they're fighting. Lord God, I pray for those in Iberia. Lord Jesus, would you bless those churches in Spain and Portugal. Thank you, Lord God, for their faithfulness. Give them breakthrough at new levels, Lord, I pray. Give them breakthrough past the Catholicism, past the, the, the lack of faith, Lord Jesus. I pray you'd help them to push through and see salvation come. Let churches be planted, Lord Jesus, into Spain and Portugal with increasing measure. Lord, for India, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I pray for those, those churches where persecution is hitting them. God, help them be faithful. Help them be faithful. Jesus, we leave the fruit to you, but we, we pray for for faithfulness. Feel to pray for situations that are stuck, for the release of resources, people building finances. That result. If that's you, if you're, if you're in a situation that is stuck, just reach out to the Lord right now. I'm going to pray for you, for God to give breakthrough in stuck situations. Lord, I thank you for each one of these leaders responding now that's feeling that a situation is stuck. I thank you for their great faithfulness. Oh Lord, I pray you'd help them to keep abiding in you and to, to keep going and to never give up. Because Lord, I believe your word says if we do not give up, we will reap a harvest. So Lord, I pray for breakthrough. Father, would you release people? Would you release finance? Would you release buildings? Would you, Lord God, release the sense and presence of your Holy Spirit? Lord Jesus, would you release breakthrough into stuck situations? Do it, Lord, I pray. Release your breakthrough. As we are faithful and abide in you, Jesus, would you do what only you can do? Do the impossible, Jesus. Build your kingdom here. Thank you, Lord God. You've done it in the past in all your faithful people. Through Paul, through the heroes of the Old and New Testament. Lord, do it with us, we pray because we want you to be glorified. Amen.